0: I'm Arafat, and I'm in the
1: UK. And I'm Muhammad, and I'm in the US. And you're listening to Slow Pit Stop.
0: And we've been joined by a very special guest for our United States Grand Prix Review, Bryson Sullivan, a PhD student in aerospace engineering and occasional tweeter. Welcome.
2: (laughs) Hello, I'm uh, glad to be here.
1: Bryson is a Twitter celebrity we, we follow yeah. his his profile we've harassed n-
2: endlessly it, it, it <laughs> is a little funny how these things these are exponential growth processes right they, yeah. they start they start very benign and uh, very minor and suddenly become big things so yeah.
0: but I think it's because you offer such great insights i mean yeah it was something i want to touch on later about the engineering I don't. I don't know what the right word is. That the engineering challenge that is Formula One that is sometimes difficult for people like myself and Mohammed who don't have any engineering
2: knowledge to maybe fully appreciate. Yeah, it's it's difficult for me too. Don't make no mistake. <laughs> you know, there, there really is no engineering enterprise like Formula One. It has so many unique facets and features to it. But again, if I do have a little bit of a better handle on things. I feel like I'm smart enough to know what's going on, but yeah. perhaps dumb enough to be able to explain it to everyone else. So we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll see how that works.
1: Before we get into it, Bryson, why don't you just let us know how you got into Formula One and then who your favorite teams and drivers are?
2: Yeah, like I said, you know, this is a question that's been asked to me several times, and it's it's never not funny when I tell a story. <laughs> but basically, my uh, introduction to Formula One was entirely by accident, actually, um, you know, I had some friends talking about going to Formula One race and I was like, boo, why would I do that? That sounds incredibly <laughs> boring. Why would I do that? But they were incredibly insistent. And they said, you're not you're not doing anything on Sunday. Why don't you come with us? This is in Indianapolis. Uh, it really was in South Bend as well was working, but not far terribly from Indianapolis. And so we drove down uh, to the U.S. Grand Prix in in 2005, actually. Um, and, and those who may or may not know the 2005 U S Grand Prix had yeah. a series of catastrophic tire failures from the, the Michelin yeah. tires so much so that like more than half the grid, like abandoned the race after yeah, the formation only six race. cars started, right? What six cars started, you know, Diego Montero was there, a, a Jordan's on the podium, you know, it was, it was incredibly, uh, unique experience, but because I had never experienced anything like that before, like that before. What I took away from it was the performance of the cars, right? the sound of the cars, the the smell of a lockup, these kinds of things, these kind of visceral things that you don't necessarily get in the same way in TV. And that came through very clearly, despite the wheel-to-wheel action not kind of being up to to par. So that kind of got me into Formula One, although I'd only been a casual fan of it in that time. Um, Slowly over time, I've been getting more and more into it. Um, you know, back then, my favorite team and car was the McLaren MP four twenty. I would mm. say that was just a beautiful, alien looking and alien sounding car with the crazy horns growing off of it and all yeah. kinds of cool things. Um, I love that. I love that car. Um, Kimmy driving it was pretty cool. Um, and then over time, you know, I've I've been following Lewis Hamilton. You know, I was I was at his second ever victory at mm. Indianapolis in two thousand seven, which is a lot of fun. I was dehydrated, but I, I had fun. <laughs> um, and I've been following his career ever since. Um, Lewis is definitely my favorite driver, and the partnership he's built with Mercedes has kind of made them my favorite team. Yeah. Um, but I do consider myself a fan of Formula One writ large before mm-hmm. any specific driver or team. Mm-hmm. I appreciate certain things of all the teams. There's not just one team that I'm you know, steadfastly in favor of. To, to the detriment of any other possible team, it's just that I tend to be in a certain probability cloud in this one area. Mm-hmm. But I can speak kind of confidently about most of the teams, if not all yeah. of
1: them. So have you been enjoying exactly. the title fight so far?
2: This has been a crazy season. Um, I, there, there is a little bit of revisionist history saying how easy the last six titles or seven titles mm-hmm. have been in Mercedes. They They have been... They have been relatively easy compared to this, but there have been fights in the past, but we just haven't seen this level of competition before. We haven't seen uh, Mercedes under the kind of stress that they're under right now with Red Bull. And I think I'd even been saying it in 2018 and 2019. The thing that Red Bull really needed to jump to the next level was their own engine manufacturing, basically. Mm-hmm. They were at the mercy of Renault for quite some time, and Renault had a works team. Renault's works team is always going to be better than uh, in certain situations, it's going, to be, it's going to be better than their supplier uh, mm-hmm. or than, than their customer, and if they tried to get a Ferrari or they tried to get a Mercedes, they're going to have the same works problem. Mm-hmm. The only real solution to that is to get an engine, engine manufacturer that's not actually represented as a, as a chassis manufacturer. Mm-hmm. And so right from day one the relationship with red bull and honda has been special considerably better than the mclaren days and they've just kind of skyrocketed ever since these latest regulations have i don't want to say intentionally hit mercedes harder but they have hit mercedes harder mm. so it's just been a, a really fun championship since then
0: hmm. what you you obviously understand aerodynamics much better than muhammad than i do um there's a lot made of the regulation changes from next year to try and have closer racing. What what do you think about these new regulations and and will it deliver better racing or is it just going to be a lottery for for the teams again?
2: I, I think it will deliver better racing. I think the the main problem with the cars that we have now again. You know, the slipstream with a car following in the immediate sort of wake of the car in front, mm-hmm. that's actually great in a straight line because it gives you extra speed. The problem is you have less like downforce as well. And the main thing is you tend to get understeer. Right? This mm-hmm. is the front axle is sliding behind the car in front. And the thing is, if we can fix that understeer problem in high speed corners, you don't have to radically change everything to get a pretty decent benefit out of it. I know Mm -hmm. the FIA is quoting, and Formula 1 is quoting numbers like retaining 85% of your downforce at two car lengths back or something impressive like that. It doesn't have to be quite that good in order to have a meaningful impact on the raceability of the cars. And what I see in the new regulations is, number one, a greater reliance on underbody aerodynamics, which are more efficient in general, but also are less sensitive to external conditions Mm -hmm. outside, like the wake of a car in front. Mm -hmm. But with the actual uh, body work and the wings, I think what we're seeing is is a cleaning up of the flow, making it a little less turbulent, a little higher energy as it comes off the car, number one, and the kind of weird rear wing design that we see with a slightly awkward, not vertical rear wing end plates with the, mm-hmm. large, you know, the mm-hmm. large radius. All of that is designed to sort of capture the wake and direct it more upwards than it would otherwise in such a way that the air that actually does hit the front wing of the car behind is more around that wake instead of the wake itself. So yeah. I do think we're going to get better performance. I do think the raceability is going to increase. The only caveat, of course, is that the teams are going to do whatever they can that's best for them. So even if the FIA is telling them to do a certain thing, they're going to do literally every single thing possible to plausibly say they followed the rules, but in actuality Ooh. are doing what they want to do. So yeah, there's, there's no really guarantee we're going to get the same numbers, but it, it should be better than it is now.
1: You know, like on social media, there's been this big conversation about how we're making the cars look more like IndyCar and like Formula One will be losing its sort of uh, brand with these new regulations. Do you think that's the case, or or no?
2: Mm. I think the defining characteristic of IndyCar is that it's a spec series. Which mm-hmm. is to say that not only are the chassis the same, like formula type of uh, you know rules they're operating within, but they're literally the same chassis, right? Mm-hmm. That's not what I see in Formula One, and I think I think Formula One actually did itself a disservice in building a physical model of its rendition of mm-hmm. the 2022 car because a lot of people saw that and said, "Well, all the cars are going to look like that," so that's mm-hmm. IndyCar, right? I think there's there's sufficient latitude and freedom in the regulations for teams to find their own way in mm-hmm. certain areas and have their own design language to kind of let you know at first glance. So oh, that's a McLaren, mm-hmm. or that's a Renault, or that's a or mm-hmm. Alpine. Sorry, I'll get <laughs> I'll get that <messaged. laughs> um, But I, I do think there's, there's there's space there for design freedom to kind of express itself, and I do think that there's enough technological innovation not only on the aerodynamic side but also on the mechanical side it's going mm-hmm. to be very important as i mentioned we may not have mentioned we're switching to 18 inch wheels and low yeah. profile t- yeah. profile tires associated with that that seems like an aesthetic change but actually mm-hmm. it's a huge mechanical change because the wheels are like a a flexible moving breathing part of the suspension mm-hmm. and when you take those big sidewalls out from the current uh, the 13-inch rims that we have in the regular tires a lot of that compliance in the suspension now has to be moved to the inboard part of the suspension as well. Yeah. The the springs and dampers and things, things that the wheel was already doing mm. where it's now much stiffer with a new wheel. So, and it has different mass properties. It's going to be an entirely different beast. Oh. Amazing.
1: So we haven't even talked about the U S Grand Prix. I friend. know
0: that's what I was just going to say. So, so we're we're getting very excited about next year, but should, <laughs> should we, should we touch on this weekend's race that we've just had, Mahmoud, how depressed are you on a scale of one to 10 this weekend? I
1: was very, very depressed Sunday and Monday. I'm no longer depressed. I've come to acceptance. So
0: uh, I... Moving through the stages. I think this is really difficult because if I could somehow put my neutral hat on, I think it was a fantastic race. Um, You know, since 2007, I've been a big Lewis fan and obviously it wasn't the outcome that I wanted. But actually, it was a huge event. It looked like it would have been amazing to have attended. Mm-hmm. Um, there were stories up and down the grid. And it was actually a fantastic race to watch. And I could feel my heart racing all the way to the last lap.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And really, what what more could we ask for as fans? Mm-hmm. But I think that's just that weird thing of sport, isn't it? You get emotionally attached to one outcome and when it doesn't happen.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. I don't think you're off base with that. And I think everyone kind of had the same idea. I think even... Martin Brundle at one point was like, you know, a Mercedes with a faster top speed and the the stall diffuser and the fresh set of tires and Lewis Hamilton. You know, that's going to be indefensible in however many mm-hmm. number of laps. I think all of us were kind of lulled into that into that thinking. Um, objectively, it was a great race. I think it was a very tense race. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It didn't necessarily have a, a lot of wheel-to-wheel action up at the front, although it did have some in the back with Fernando. Um, yeah. It it still was a very intense race because genuinely we did not know who the victor was going to be until the very, very end. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: And it seems like it was settled by one second or a second and a half, but really it wasn't. Really, it was settled by two or three tenths, really, because that's mm-hmm. really all you really would have needed to get Lewis in the DRS range and maybe have a go mm-hmm. at having a pass down the back straight down to turn 12. So this race was actually far closer than I think people realize. Mm-hmm. It was settled by very fine margins. And look, you got to give Max credit. We, yeah, 100%. Mercedes strategy was better. The car seemed to be better in the end with, as far as the pace goes. All Max had to do was make one lockup, go wide, mm-hmm. one miss one apex, and mm-hmm. Lewis was going to pounce all over him. Mm-hmm. I promise you, he's done it so many times before. He didn't do that. He didn't make a mistake and he he absorbed the pressure. So he deserves a win.
1: Do you want to give us a quick race recap before we get into the race a little longer?
0: I don't even know where to start. So Max started on pole position. Lewis was in second into the first corner. Lewis managed to get ahead and it seemed Red Bull were then chasing. They tried an undercut, but Mercedes went longer. I think they did that to try and get their own undercut later on. Um, and again, they went long again and the whole idea of their strategy was we're going to be on fresher tyres towards the end and chase down Max. But I think Max was very, very clever in that he didn't take the energy out of his tyres as he was being chased. He waited for Lewis to come to him and then defended just as much as he needed to uh, and didn't put any more stress into that car than he needed. Um, I think, like Bryson said, you know, the way he's handling pressure is incredibly impressive and and you know that th- it was a huge result for him and he gets out of the car as if oh yeah i want to race it's fine like it's no big deal I, mean, I don't know i don't know how he's like where he is psychologically i'm, I'm not sure how he's getting to that place but it, but it, it's very very impressive
1: yeah um it's definitely a very tense race i think uh, and I think nobody really will understand the tenseness unless you watched it from beginning to end. Like if we yeah. put it into words, it kind of undersells the whole thing. Um, yeah. Do you want to give us our, our top three comedy moments before we get into? Oh yeah, the, we did this beginning? last
0: time. So, so we, we, we talked about moments that that entertained us. Um, I think number one, we've got this new feature this year where you can hear the chat between the teams and the, uh, the FIA or the race stewards and um. Not the, racetr- the race director so michael yeah. massey and th- this moment where uh, the alpine engineer was being very very sassy um and it was you know can i just confirm we can overtake off the track if we're going around the outside and massey was like no you can't do that <laughs> uh, and alpine were like so it's okay for reckoning like, no it's not okay for anyone um and i, I don't know watching it live it it made me laugh quite a lot. I don't know if this is the way teams have always spoken to the race director or would, <laughs> who I don't knows? think, I don't think who would knows would go away with that that. Whiting, But who, who knows, but it's funny to see that. Yeah.
1: The timing of it was like, he said it after Fernando had also overtaken. jovanazzi yeah. on the outside. So he's like, Oh, so Raikkonen can do like, it's almost like we just did the same thing. Like, what are you trying to get at? Yeah. So, I don't know. It, it was ridiculous.
0: Um, and then the second thing that made me laugh was Mazepin's car disintegrating around him. So I think people were giving him <laughs> a lot of abuse online for being so far behind. Cause I think at one point Alonso was technically out of the race, but still classified still higher than Mazepin. <laughs> um, but when you look at his on boards and things, his headrest kept flying away. I think his feet were burning and I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on with that Haas. Cause you know, I remember even just last year, the year before when Williams were struggling yeah they didn't have the best car but they were doing their best in other areas that they could you know they were going for the fastest pit stop operational stuff they were pushing themselves and I, I don't know what's happening with Haas that everything just seems to be falling apart for them um i don't know i you guys are american so you might have a a stronger opinion on this but i think having a strong american team in formula one would be good for formula One.
2: Oh yeah um yeah, we who we haven't had who which Americans have we had driving? We had Scott Speed for a while, yeah, and then I think we had Alexander Rossi was the yeah. was the last American in F one. Uh, I, I still maintain to this day that Scott Speed has the greatest racing name of all time. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you can't you can't beat that. Um, I actually but, looked but it up yeah, once to see
0: if he like legally changed it, and it used to be something else, but it's not. That's just his name. No, that's, that's <laughs> his
2: name. Um, but no, he, you know, he, he was great. Um, I do think that there is a there are two distinct aspects of that that you mentioned of having American influence in F one. One is a driver right involved in the Formula One team, involved in races, and of them that we can cheer for kind of over here. <laughs> but also the longevity of an American team yeah. is important. And if they were smart, they wouldn't just totally take over an existing team, they would form a, a partnership and a branding that showed both names together that really kind of gelled that transition. To be clear, I'm thinking of like a team like Andretti Sauber. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It has the right mixture uh, of American name and European names and a, a merging of, of excellent mm-hmm. histories and racing series. It kind of just makes sense. I don't. I don't actually know if that deal's being being struck. I actually expected it to be uh, debuted. Me too. In, yeah, because the they said we're going to announce big happen.
0: team news, and then I thought, oh, it's actually happening. It's happened very quick, and then they were talking about their new branding on their Formula E team because BMW have left. So they were talking about their new title sponsor or something. That, that was their <laughs> Not big announcement. Quite what we we're expecting. Yeah,
2: but no, I I definitely agree.
0: I I think Andretti Sauber would be amazing. I, I yeah. would love to see that, but. um What was it? Oh, finally, the the weirdest moment. So there was this, everyone's talking about this on Twitter, but the the Martin Brundle and Megan The Stallion uh, interview. So being honest, I have no idea who most celebrities are. And I'd not heard of her before. I didn't know who she was. And it just, I didn't think about it much at the time. It felt like an awkward interaction. And, you know, over the years, Martin Brundle has had so many awkward interactions, celebrities. I didn't really (laughs) think much of it. What was unusual this time was the fact that he went on to tweet about it and i'll read his little tweet out here and it said i felt under pressure on the grid before but people uh, by people called senna Pro schumacher mansell pk and so on bodyguards visit the grid for the first time don't bother me everyone's got a job to do but they could maybe learn some manners and respect on our patch um i don't know i just i thought it was weird that he had to say that um and then every other journalist in the world seems to be jumping on and saying uh yeah 100% agree can't believe what Megan Thee Stalin's bodyguard did etc cetera, etc cetera. Bryson you had some thoughts on it
2: uh I do uh, so note the words that he used he didn't yeah. actually say that the celebrity themselves was the problem yeah he actually said that the bodyguard was yeah. the problem and what the bodyguard did I can understand that and kind of sympathize with that but as you say Awkward interactions on the gridwalk are par for the course for Morton Brundle. He's, he's, he's got some of the most famous tidbits yeah. um, from his gridwalks of of anyone in Formula One. He's, he's, he's one of the most intrepid journalists, pundits that we have. Um, not all of those interactions come off best. Hmm. This was probably one of the worst ones. I think the thing that was kind of a little bit more strange to me was that he asked Megan to like, rap for him on the spot like do a rap and that kind of threw me off a little bit um there are some people aren't sensitive to this but i am because i I just uh, i am there are there are societal and racial undertones to a a non-black person telling a black person to do something on command yeah (laughs) right just do a certain thing yeah it's it's a it's a There is historical context there that makes the interaction kind of difficult. And all I wanted to say about that entire interaction was both sides could benefit from more communication from whoever was managing that gridwalk or whatever it was to be mutually aware of what expectations were or could be. Mm. On the one side, you could say Megan Megan and her team could be more aware that Martin's going around doing his thing on the the gridwalk. At the same time, someone could have told Martin these aren't like just entourage people around her. These are actual Mm. bodyguards. And there's a reason why she has them. Uh, She has a unique history that some other people don't have that may require her to have unique uh, uh, security concerns. I'll I'll Mm. leave it at that. Yeah, But yeah, I mean, it's been an incredible, I I didn't think the interaction was that crazy really watching it back. What it did do is bring some incredibly unsavory people out of the woodwork online to hmm. say some highly questionable things in public um, that are being discussed currently, and I'm sure we'll be discussing them in the future. But that was definitely one of the more weird things. I, I thought your number one crazy moment was going to be Fernando uh, breaking himself in a turn 12 by about 10 years and then <laughs> trying to trying to hold on to the move, you know, whistling Dixie as if thing happened. That's yeah. what I thought it was going to be. No, I, I think – Fernando, this
0: year, I think he's, he's he's entertaining me quite a lot because I think he, with the rules he's really pushing them, and he's sort of in a position where he has nothing to lose. You know, he's not the, the, he's not fighting for the championship and worried about a penalty or being docked points or whatever else. He's just doing what he wants to do, and um, I, I'm here for it. I love it.
2: It's the the best part. The best part had to be when he pushed Kimmy off of the off physically off the racetrack yeah. into turn one He's, he he pushed him so much that the evidence of the pushing was that kimmy lost a bit of his floor yeah you could see the carbon He's fiber shooting off, up in yeah. the air okay kimmy just kept it pinned and can on the outside and fernando had the gall he had the the temerity to say he overtook me off the track yeah <laughs> <laughs> fernando bro bro like you you pushed him off the track, Fernando. I can I can demonstrate I can demonstrate in a court of law that you pushed him off the track, Fernando. Okay, you can't say he overtook you off the track or he had nowhere else to go. So so yeah, Fernando is a character, and I do think he's doing social experiments now. Yeah, I, I do yeah. think he's deliberately pushing the buttons, see so what he can get away with, because he thinks he can derive some sort of competitive edge from it. Yeah, I do think that. I don't Definitely. think it's an accident. No,
0: 100%. But I remember uh, it was a long time ago, an old interview with David Coulthard. And he was talking about how Mick Hakkinen almost had this mentality of whatever's happening is the other guy's fault. I didn't do anything wrong. It was the other guy. Uh, And David Coulthard said, maybe that's why Mick is a champion and I'm not. Um, (laughs)
2: Because his ability to accept blame, he just didn't have. I remember the exact word. It was like, he was asking, I think it it was Schumacher. He was like, well, surely, Michael, you've, you've made a mistake at some point in your life. And Michael's like, I don't think so. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, can't, I can't recall. I can't recall. So yeah. That's the, a perfect instantiation of that mindset.
0: Um, so while we have your fantastic engineering mind here, I, w- I had some questions. Um, so for me, I'm struggling to understand why Bottas is t- taking so many Uh, internal combustion engines i you know i there was that interview that Toto wolf did with sky uh where he said you know you're being fed bs and you know people just using very nondescript languages oh there's gremlins in the engine is it something to do with valves and this and that and i i have no idea what's going on um and then there's these other theories of well mercedes are just gonna keep taking new internal combustion engines to give themselves speed advantages um which sounds a bit mad to me but maybe that is the case who knows
2: yeah, that it is an interesting thing. It it does strike us as odd that Botas at this point has literally double his allotment of, of ICEs at this point. He's used six at this yeah. point, I believe, instead yeah. of instead of the usual three. The reason why this is happening is this is a chess game by Mercedes that they're allowed to get away with because of the particular features of the rules. So if you recall the first time that you exceed the allotted number of ICEs internal combustion engines, it was a, it was a 10 place grid mm. penalty, right? And you might imagine that every new engine you take after that, it would also be a 10, 10 place grid penalty, at least if not, you know, 15 or 20, mm. it turns out that every ICE you take after the first one is only a five place grid penalty. I don't know why that is. And I don't, know how long it's going to be for the future. But right now, what that means is you can take it another, every ICE you want and you're only going to get a five place penalty. And remember the the degree to which the grid holds you up and prevents you from going forward is like very nonlinear. Mm. Like the first couple of places, not that big of a deal. And the three more is like a really big deal. And then in 10, you're like, it's a huge deal. You can't get through the field. So... If you can go from a 10-grace penalty to a five-place grid penalty, that can buy you the reliability you need on the power unit side and not totally kill your race in the end. Now, it turns out that Valtteri Botas is clinically unable to make passes in certain situations. <laughs> he's been diagnosed with uh, <laughs> passive, you know, passing disorder, yeah. basically. <laughs> um, he's unable to do it. And so he only made it up to, I think, 6th in the end with some last-minute yeah, passes? Yeah, not very high, yeah, yeah. But he's he's indecisive, and I think it's gotten to the point where other drivers know he's indecisive. Mm. They know he's not going to send a move on them in anything other than a completely clear situation that allows them to focus on keeping their racing line and keeping their braking points, and it allows them to stay ahead of him and longer than they might otherwise do. So the short answer to why Mercedes is replacing engines all the time is because there's really no penalty to it. Number one, I mean, there is a penalty, but it's nowhere near as severe as it could be. Number two, as you mentioned, there is a horsepower benefit to a fresh engine. When you bring in a new engine, your ability to uh, rev the engine out increases um, the newer it is, there's different power settings. Also, if they want to get experimental and tricky about what they can actually do with an engine and run into destruction, they can do it in Valtteri's car before trying it in Lewis's car. To Mm. gather some data on whether or not what they're doing not only produces a desired result but won't cause the engine to break up into a million pieces Mm. The, the final thing that you could possibly argue they're doing it's kind of like a kinematic argument is they don't want to put themselves in the awkward situation of having botas about to win a race and lewis like right behind him and then having to You know, awkwardly tell Valtteri, you know, Valtteri, it's James, get out of the way. Mm. Lewis needs to win this race for the championship by giving him these penalties over and over again, on top of everything else we've already mentioned about why that might be a good idea. It gets Valtteri out of the way of Lewis. Um, Granted, that leaves him without a rear gunner to help against the Red Bulls, but at the same time, it prevents them from being in a situation where Valtteri could hold up Lewis or put them in a position where they'd have to force him to get out of the way, which I think. Red Bull is going to be in that situation in a couple of weeks in Mexico. Mm -hmm.
1: But, you know, like, uh, I I guess it's hard for me to think because if you take these penalties and if you push Botas further and further behind, there's no guarantee that he's going to make up those paces, those races. So I guess it's like, you know, what is the trade-off? You're giving him this five-place penalty and uh, he's taking the fresher engine, but is it really worth – losing the points in the actual race, you know, does that balance out?
0: Well, The the constructors competition is pretty close as well between Mercedes and Red Bull. So I think, like you said, the thing that makes the most sense to me is maybe they're using his car as a testing ground for what they can and can't do with Lewis's.
2: Yes, I think that's correct, but also I think their own expectation of how much progress Valtteri would make is higher than what he's actually doing. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think their plan is for him to finish as, as far back as he is or be held up for as long as he is. What I will say is that every single penalty that Valtteri t- takes casts a, wa- a larger and larger shadow over mm-hmm. Lewis and his engines. Mm-hmm. And when eventually he's going to have to take an engine penalty, he hasn't taken it yet and... There's some reasons related to downforce, uh, how much downforce they run on average, that actually could lead to Lewis having better longevity than Valtteri, Um in terms of the more downforce you run, the harder engine, the harder the engine works, and the earlier you have to replace it, mm-hmm. roughly speaking, is actually a thing. Mm-hmm. So Lewis tends to run less downforce since those engines potentially could last a little bit longer, all other things considered. So we'll, we'll see if he can hang on. So Lewis Hamilton tweeted the other day,
0: it's not over. What do we think?
2: <laughs> I that agree. Over? No, I, I, Wait, I look, agree. On, I think...
1: that, on that note, Congrats. though, I just want to ask real quick, because since we're just doing the engineering bit yeah. and going into the it's not over thing, you know, I guess my big question has been, has Mercedes made up the deficit to Red Bull that we saw earlier in the season? Because since Silverstone, you would say that, you know, maybe they've had the faster car. And even in free practice one, they were, you know, a second faster than Red Bull. And then the next day Red Bull had caught up and then Red Bull was faster on race day. And then there's all this talk about the suspension of Mercedes and how it's so incredible. So I guess my question is, you know, what is going on on the engineering side with that, you know, Silverstone package? Have we have we seen Mercedes catch up? You know, I, I just can't understand it.
2: I, I actually do think they have caught up. And I think you pointed out something very important, which is Mercedes looked very well ahead, not only in FP1, but FP2 as well. The entire Friday, they looked looked pretty great. It was only on Saturday and Sunday that they really started having some issues. And I think the major cause of that is actually the bumps at Coda. So basically the bumps at Coda are severe. Like we need to fix them, okay? They were so severe that they cracked Max Verstappen's uh, rear wing in Hmm. free practice. And it required them to replace the rear wing, but also add stiffening elements to keep it from cracking. If you, if you recall, when Fernando Alonso retired from the race, he reported his rear wing had cracked mm-hmm. as well, and mm-hmm. broken up. The bumps were doing major, major damage to the cars. What I would say is that Mercedes saw this on the first day of practice and realized that they could have serious reliability concerns if they didn't do something. So they stiffened up and beefed up certain parts of the car. They increased the ride stiffness. And, and they change the ride height to be slightly higher so that they wouldn't impact the bumps quite as hard and have mm-hmm. such a, a great concern about the reliability. Mm-hmm. The problem is from an aerodynamics standpoint and a vehicle dynamic standpoint, having the car up higher off the ground gives you less downforce and it has less desirable mm-hmm. properties for uh, vehicle dynamics. So Mercedes explicitly sacrificed some of their ultimate pace starting on Saturday morning in order to make sure that their car would finish the race. Hmm. Red Bull does not seem to have done that. Red Bull was happy with the changes that they made to their rear wing and 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 their car's overall setup. They were happy with it, that it wasn't impacting the bumps quite as hard. And they were able to, I would say, run closer to their optimal pace than Mercedes would. So hmm. I think this question of who has the best car right now I think they're very, very similar. The only difference that I can see right now is going to be circuit dependence mm-hmm. you know, and altitude dependence, obviously, for Mexico. Um, wh- what I would take away from this is I think they're very, very equal. And because of that, just just throw out the, the form book, the yeah. historical form book. This is yeah. our track. This is their track. Just just chuck it. It's not helping us anymore because it's not relevant to the championship that mm-hmm. we have the power dynamics are completely different, in, in, in terms of the the, the engine, um, the arrow is very different now because mm-hmm. you know Mercedes very much on the back foot the entire season, fighting their way back. It's all it's all different. So every weekend we just show up to the race, figure out who's fast, and then figure out how you are going to win. We, we I don't think we we have the luxury anymore of thinking about Mercedes tracks and Red Bull tracks. Hmm.
1: Even Mexico, you, you would say even Mexico is going to be.
2: I, I think even Mexico, as good as uh, Red Bull has been in Mexico, I think Mercedes may have a trick or two up its sleeve as well. Not so much in a new trick aerodynamic device, but we've never driven this car, this configuration in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, you're able to actually, because of the low density, you're able to actually run like Monaco levels of, of wing and, mm-hmm. and angle of attack and things. But you'll still be generating less downforce than, than Monza because the, the air is, is so thin. You're mm-hmm. not interacting with enough of it to generate the forces. So mm-hmm. you can go crazy with your arrow um, and not really pay a, a speed penalty. Um, and so the, the specifics of that are very important for determining who will be fast in Mexico. Of course, we have these turbocharged V6 hybrids. Turbocharger design, ability to operate at high altitudes will also be a factor. Mm-hmm. So I just don't know who's going to be coming out on top, but I think it's anyone's race.
1: Is that the attitude you take to all the rest of the tracks remaining, like even going into Abu Dhabi and...
2: Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think most people would say, look, it, it, all based only on historical things, people would say Red Bull could be very well at Mexico. Red Bull could do very well at, at Brazil. They'll probably do well at at uh qatar, <clears throat> qatar as well because it's also very twisty and curvy mm-hmm. track but uh jetta and abu dhabi would probably be more along the lines with with Mercedes' car mm-hmm. historically and also the way their philosophy is set up that's what you would say historically and that's probably a plausible thing to say it's just that i think we know enough now to know that things are different Now, Mm whatever is going on this season, it's having an impact at all the races. Mm -hmm. And as I said before, just turn up at the race and see who's fast and then work from there.
1: Okay, so it's not over.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's not. No, it's not. You can't you can never count out Lewis Hamilton. No, I'm going to say this as as lovingly as I can. Uh, Lewis Hamilton is a freak. (laughs) he <laughs> doesn't have any rational he doesn't have any rational explanation for how good he is you know, his ability to to drag results out of the car his race pace is incredible his qualifying is an immaculate you know his his intelligence in the car in the strategy in the moment he, there's so many things about his game that are so much above average that it's kind of like an uncaused thing. It's just like a freak of nature, right? Yeah. Um, you can't you can't bet against someone like that, uh, especially late in the season when he tends to be very good. The race that keeps coming to my mind, I can't remember what year,
0: I think it was 2011. Yeah, maybe it was 2011. Korea, when Lewis Hamilton was, I think he was in 10th place, he had like half a field attached to the side of his car and he was dragging it along and Sergio Perez was chasing him down. And anybody else, I think, I don't know, at least myself in that position, would have just given up and said, this car is broken. I'm dragging all this AstroTurf around with me. What is going on? But he fought all the way to the line for that one point. I can imagine Lewis doing the exact same thing from now till the end of this season, fighting and fighting and fighting. And if the championship doesn't go his way, it won't be because of any lack of effort on his part. Mm -hmm. Or skill. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I'm curious how you think how do you think this season will play into his legacy? I think right now one of the big conversations on Twitter is that if Max Verstappen wins this year, he has, you know, ended the the reign of of Sir Lewis Hamilton and, you know, this is it. This is how it's going to be remembered that Max Verstappen overthrew him. Is that what you think that, you know, we're going to remember this season for or do you we think we're going to remember it for the 100 wins and for the amazing competitiveness and I don't know, what do you think?
2: We're definitely going to remember the, the 100 wins and you know, the 100 polls and the 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 continued streak of winning mm-hmm. at least one race in every season of his mm-hmm. entire career, which no one else has ever done in so mm-hmm. more than two seasons. Um, th- those types of things are solidifying his status as one of the greatest ever, in my view, actually the greatest ever. Mm-hmm. We can debate the specifics of it, but but that's where I would say. In terms of Max dethroning Lewis – I mean, mathematically, yes, right? Lewis has been winning these championships back to back to back. And and if Max stops that chain, by definition, you've, you've kind of dethroned someone. Um, that doesn't necessarily speak to what their ultimate talents are, who's ultimately the better driver. This is one of those things that we can never really answer because even when you have two greats like that, uh, fighting wheel to wheel and battling on a, on a weekly basis – you're not actually having the prime version of each one battling the other one. Mm-hmm. Like one might argue that you know prime Lewis Hamilton was 2007, 2008, you know, full of talent, full of mm-hmm. insane ability, uh, raw talent closer to where Max is kind of now. Mm-hmm. What would happen if those two went head to head? Right? Mm-hmm. There's just there's just no way to to, to make it happen unless mm. we care to invent time travel. Although that's probably a good reason to do it. <laughs> Uh, force force celebrities to battle each other at their prime. That's a great use of physics. Um, but 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 genuinely though, I think I think the you know I think what this season has done is proven to me that Max is not you know you may love him or hate him or however you feel about him. Max is not uh, like every other driver. Mm-hmm. As I've said, under the unrelenting pressure that Lewis put on him on Sunday on on a better strategy with fresher tires bearing down on him at multiple seconds per lap nine out of ten drivers wouldn't be able to handle that and max mm-hmm. was able to handle that 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 is lewis is elevating max's status right now max mm-hmm. is not elevating lewis's status everyone knows how great lewis is mm-hmm. um but but there were there were inklings of that early early on everyone says that well, look, Red Bull is clearly obsessed with Max Verstappen. They're <laughs> clearly going to design the car around him. They're going to make yeah. the perfect vehicle for him. How can anyone else, you know, handle it? Those things are true, but importantly, Max Verstappen won his very first race for Red Bull uh, in Spain in 2016, right? When he replaced <laughs> Danny Civera. You know if you remember. <laughs> so just just remember. You can't have a car that's designed for you. By definition, a car can't be designed for you if you've never driven it before. Yeah. Mm. Okay. If you can win a race in a car you've never driven before, you're clearly good. Yeah. The question is, how good are you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, it's pretty crazy because you, Bryson, you're at uh, Indianapolis 2005, a historic race in terms of craziness. Arafat was at Spain 2016, another crazy historic race. So I've just bought tickets today for, the, for my first ever Formula One grand prix in miami the tickets were very expensive i could have bought like a car with that or something you know i could have i could have flown to azerbaijan for their you know grand prix and flown back it's, for that it's
2: outrageous i know yeah. exactly what you're talking about so i'm
1: hoping to <laughs> and i'll see the- you down there by the way oh nice <laughs> very nice yeah. but i'm hoping <laughs> to complete the trifecta miami will also be a crazy race since both of you guys got to go to crazy races in your history <laughs>
2: it it there's an entire other podcast episode on the financial decisions that F1 has made vis-a-vis the Miami Grand Prix. But in terms of what it could deliver, it is kind of a unique situation. Yes, it's kind of flat, but I think that there's potential in the track despite its humble origins. Mm -hmm. I think it actually has a potential... Especially in conjunction with the 2022 cars,
1: mm-hmm.
2: a track layout like that combined with the 2022 cars and a very, very long back straight mm-hmm. could actually lead to some interesting racing. So, fingers yeah. and toes Hopefully. and whatever other appendages price. you cross. <laughs> to, I hope it's an across. amazing race,
0: but yeah, the, the price does blow my mind. So, because <laughs> I, when I went to Spain for that race, it, it was, you know, the general admission just to the grounds was like 90 pounds or something. And you could just walk around wherever. So I, I could walk up to turn one. I could walk to the start-finish straight. I could walk around wherever I wanted. For the races I've been to, I always find just being able to walk around is much better than having an actual seat.
2: Um, but they don't even seem to have general admission tickets for Miami. No. They, they don't. I've double-checked and triple-checked and it's worse than you think because even if they do have general admission, it's an extremely flat surface, an extremely, extremely flat track. Your viewing angles are going to be bad anyway. Mm-hmm. General admission. you're not going to actually be able to see that many things um yeah so we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll see how that goes and, and even that 2016 race is you know famous for max winning this race also famous for one of the most hilarious if not tragic teammate collisions in, yeah. in formula one history
1: yeah
2: <laughs> um lewis hamilton and nico rossberg uh you know going down to turn four so very, very important race in the annals of Formula One history.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. So I hope Miami becomes, you know, really important in the annals of Formula One history. <laughs> uh,
0: um, do I want to say our predictions for Mexico? What do we think is going to happen?
1: Yeah, I'll go first. I'll put I'll put Max on top, and then Lewis, okay. <laughs> and then Checo. <laughs> I'm going going. So,
0: I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna still keep the faith, and I'm gonna say Lewis first um i'm gonna put sergio second mm. and i'm gonna put leclerc third
1: wow does okay. Does that
2: mean that max dnf'd yeah. is that what you're saying yeah <laughs> <laughs> because i don't see how sergio's finishing in front of max Unless he DNFed.
1: A Max DNF would yeah. hand the championship to Lewis at this point. That is like... The whole
0: thing is so close. I don't know what's going to happen. I think like like this race that we just had, where we didn't know what was going to happen until the checker flag came down.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: think the season going to be like that. Unless Max just wins everything from now until the end and, and it becomes obvious.
2: Even then, it could be tough. he yeah. to three at least. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to say uh, Lewis first because inexplicably Mercedes is going to be good somehow in the race. Um, I'm going to say Valtteri second because it will be his first race. I'm assuming they don't give him another penalty. It will be his first race. In several races without a penalty. Mm. It'll be weird for him. He'll, He'll look like a fish to water and kind of enjoy that <laughs> in, in a second. And then I'll have Max third. I have Max third. Oh my uh, God. Uh, I-, I hope it happens um, that way. But for.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today Bryson uh, this has been a great you know all these questions we've had all season we finally got to get them out and ask you and get some real answers so <laughs> and,
2: and I will correct you I will correct you you said you have a fantastic engineering brain it's incorrect I just explained things reasonably well that's the difference I think <laughs> I think you're, you're you're seeing data and you're not clear if it's because of genius or you know, <laughs> of band thank you for
0: your Twitter uh feed anyway i think this is our first time watching formula one and keeping an eye on social media at the same time
1: oh yeah Um, yeah.
0: and it is you you know you get some real gems from people like yourself who are sharing interesting and useful information that enhances our enjoyment and then of course there's lots of people who are trying their hardest to take away from our enjoyment but uh
2: societal vandals yeah yeah
0: but you know as long as people are having fun and supporting each other i think it's all good so thank you very much.
2: All right. Well, I'm, I'm glad to be here, and uh, thank you for having me.
1: Thank you. Bye. Oh, they slow. It's a slow pit stop drop-by. This has been a production for Not That Good Media.